0: Like to get rid of your wife it's a morbid thought no 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 no, no. just suppose let's say that you had a very good reason now let's let's no, no, let's, let's, let's say now you'd be afraid to kill her you know why you'd get caught and what would trip you up the motive ah oh, now here's my idea i'm afraid i haven't got time to listen Bruce. listen it's so simple too two fellows meet accidentally like you and me No connection between them at all. Never saw each other before. Each one has somebody that he'd like to get rid of. So, they swap murders. Swap murders? (laughs) Each fellow does the other fellow's murder. Then there's nothing to connect them. Each one has murdered a total stranger. Like, you do my murder,
1: I do yours.
2: We're coming into my station.
1: Hello, everybody. Hello. It's October, so you know what that means.
2: Yep. Welcome to the only Hitchcock October entry we're doing this month. We're only doing one film this year because, look, we kind of had a hectic year, so... We're limiting it to just one, but we made sure it was one worth doing. This week, we're looking at the 1951 uh, effort Strangers on a Train.
1: Such a good movie. This is one of my favorites of his.
2: Yeah, this, this is one of the best. I would say of the ones that we've watched, I would probably put it third on the list. And that's a pretty strong third. I mean, in my opinion, the tiers that, of the five that we've done so far—it's one, two, three—and th- or no, I guess it's—I guess we've done six.
1: We've done this. Will this will be our seventh? Yeah, because this is the fourth year.
2: Okay, then. I mean, then, yeah, this is definitely head and shoulders above some of the other films. I'm, it's definitely third in my book. It's up there with Psycho. It's up there with Vertigo. So I, I'd put it on that tier. That's the level of quality that we're looking at here. A very good film. Uh, in in many ways, kind of a uh, an echo of last year's Rope, uh, with one of the leads from that coming back to be the lead in this. And also some some similar themes. It's another morality story. Then what's Rope made? Uh, rope was made... 48, I think.
1: Oh, huh, weird.
2: Yeah, because this is 51. Yeah. It, it. Admittedly, what I think throws people is that, I mean, I may be off on my dates. Um, I know this is black and white, uh, whereas the others were color, but then again, Psycho was also black and white, so... that was 1960. Yeah, and that was 1960. It was very common for movies to go between black and white and color in that day. Personally, I wish they would do that more often. I think black and white looks really good.
1: Yeah, I think the last uh, major films we released in black and white was Nebraska.
2: Yeah, which is fantastic and looks great. It is. You know, there's a filmmaker we need to at some point do a look over as Alexander Payne, because I love his films. Oh, heck so. yeah. I, he hasn't made a film that I've seen because I haven't seen his first film but everything he's he's done I've really loved but anyway yeah Nebraska was probably the last one and that looks so good um uh, this one black and white looks fantastic mm-hmm. I don't know it's hard to describe what the effect that these movies have uh, Good Night and Good Luck was another one that was black and white and looked just
1: superb that's true yeah that was about 10 years before
2: anyway so yeah we're looking at uh, this one um A little bit of background on the film. Based on a Patricia Highsmith novel, um, her first, I believe. Not very faithfully based on a Patricia Highsmith novel, I should point Mm -hmm. out. The movie takes so many liberties, right down to the central plot. Uh, There is a major change from Highsmith's novel to the uh, film in that in the book, both men go through with the murders. That doesn't happen in this movie. Uh, which kind of almost makes it to the point where it feels like an in-name-only adaptation. I mean, it changes so much that you're almost left to wonder what was the point of even calling this an adaptation. It takes just the basic premise and some of the characters, but it really alters them greatly. Pretty much everything you think of that's central to the plot of this movie was added. Uh, later the script went through several passes of adaptation a writer by the name of uh, Whitfield Cook did the first adaptation that was considered pretty good Um, some of the elements started to come together then the studio said nope we want a big name writer on this so they hired Raymond Chandler creator of Philip Marlowe um, one of the great noir writers whose name is still on the film whose name is still on the film only because the studio wanted a name on it let's be clear Almost nothing Chandler wrote made it into the final film. Uh, it's it's nice to see his name on it. He had next to nothing to do with the actual film. Uh, he and Hitchcock did not get along, which was interesting because uh, Chandler, his, uh, his most notable film collaboration was with uh, Billy Wilder on Double Indemnity, in which case mo- most of his work did make it on, obviously. Uh, uh, that's a that's a fantastic film, by the way. That's one we definitely need to look at getting to for this cast. Uh, so yeah, so Ch- Chandler did a couple drafts. Did not get along with Hitchcock at all. He was fired, and a woman by the name of uh, I'm gonna mispronounce her name horribly. So just bear with me. Uh, Cinzi Ormond is gonna be my best attempt at it. She, did you uh, say Susie Ormond? Cinzy. it's really weird spelling. Uh, C-Z-N-Z-I. She working with uh. Hitchcock's wife and another woman, they really were the ones that put the script into shape. Um, she, she is credited on the film, and they were the ones that really made what we think of as this film.
1: We should take this opportunity to talk about Hitchcock's wife for a second, because wow.
2: Yeah, it's its impossible to describe Hitchcock without describing his wife. Uh, Alma Reveal was... She was an interesting figure. Uh, she was very much Hitchcock's right hand. Um, she was very central to making his films work. She was very central to making the Hitchcock magic that we know work. And he openly credited her. He, he, despite his notorious misogynist status, he really was indebted to her. And he did talk about that at length. Wow. We have a special guest, by the way.
1: Hello, Lola.
2: Okay. So anyway, yeah, she was really central to his work. She was really central to getting it going. Uh, and was very central here. She really helped him get it into shape. So the film that you're seeing very much was her touches. Uh, it was an interesting situation um, for the uh, cast. Hitchcock, uh, Farley Granger uh, from Rope is in this one uh, in the lead role of Guy Haynes, a tennis player whose wife is. Uh, wow, she's horrible. Yeah, she My is. God, she's horrible. Something isn't she? She won't give him a divorce, in he, which he desperately wants, so that he can get married to a woman he actually loves. Who is very much your standard, uh, doesn't have any character woman of this era. I think her only real character trait is that she is a senator's daughter. Yeah. So so that's what's going on in this... So he's in a bad situation. And that she's a better option than... She's a much... Um,
1: yeah yeah, Which doesn't <laughs> say wife.
2: much um, No Seriously, the scene that his wife has Where she is just laying out You know, that she doesn't Even though she's pregnant with another man's baby Oh, she's just horrible She lays it out Gone Girl style Very much so Not surprisingly, this material has been looked at As a remake option For the writer and director of that film Ha!
1: Ah. Yeah, that would be interesting. (laughs) I
2: would love to see that. I I would love to see that. Um, Unfortunately, nothing seems to be coming of it after uh, an announcement about a year ago. Uh, It's funny. It's weird to me that David Fincher can't seem to find any projects to get going after what was undeniably one of his biggest hits. Uh, And also, frankly, one of his best films. Uh, That's just a brilliant film. Seriously, Hitchcock would have killed to have made Gone Girl. Yeah, he would have oh, dreamed yeah. of it. Uh, but anyway, so he so it's on a train that he meets just the s- absolute worst human being, Bruno Antony, played by Robert Walker, who is an interesting figure. I advise everybody look up his uh, Wikipedia page. He was an interesting guy, uh, n- not a nice guy. Um, I'll, I'll put it bluntly. Uh, died not too long after this movie came out, actually. Oh, really? Um, yeah, he was uh, an alcoholic. He was a very severe alcoholic. That's a shame Yeah But he's really wonderful here As just the absolute worst human being on the planet This guy who's sleazy Who is Annoying Who is Won't shut up Won't stop talking Just Insinuates himself into this guy's life Just the worst And that's even before we get to the fact
1: that he's a brutal murderer Yeah so yeah, he's he has a vendetta against his father, which you hear uh, briefly an argument between him and his mother. Is it is it supposed to be his biological father? or Is it his like stepfather? I took it as biological father. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they're talking about uh, you know he should be he should be sent away. He should be locked up. He should not be living here. It's not clear. What he's done previously, but apparently he's just a really bad nut. Yeah, and which we come to believe
2: because we see exactly what he acts like. He's just ugh. So yeah, good he it So he makes this pitch to a guy on the train. Um, he's like, okay, look, the the perfect murder would be for two guys to commit each other's murder. Like you know, he he would bump off uh, guy's wife if uh, he if uh, guy would bump off his father now again this is the big point of deviance from the book uh, Guy's reaction is point blank to always be like no that's horrible that's awful why are you even pitching this and what's wrong with you again different in the source
1: material right in the movie he just sort of goes uh, it's, it's a misunderstanding basically
0: you think my theory's okay Guy I
1: mean, you like it
0: sure bro sure
1: they're all okay just to appease him and get
2: away. Yeah. So that happens and uh then then we get the scene between Guy and his wife and that's just a just a great scene because she is horrible in a way that in the code era the only way that a woman could get away with being that horrible would be if they were going to be punished for their behavior because oh the wonderful sexism of the 50s and uh, also yeah. of the 2010s if we're honest. Yeah, yeah. It', it cause she just—I mean, she just is. It's even implied she might be in a menage a trois.
1: Oh, it's more than implied. Yeah. Wow, this the. the yeah. Like it's it's almost it's like just short of outright stated. <laughs> yeah. During that whole carnival scene, like she is giving uh, Bruno the serious eye for like a, uh for a third in there.
2: Yeah, she's really. Yeah. That entire carnival scene is nightmarish. Again, that was a big ad, a big addition. That was not in the original material. And, and that carnival scene is just everything about it is very nightmarish. The black and white is really effective because if it was in color, I think it would have been too grating. It would have been too hard to take seriously. But because it's just black and white, you just, it's all so well shot and so clean and...
1: Yeah, and you have, you have things like, you have Miriam, her two suitors, like, try the, uh, like, this, the hammer game, like, the bell. Yeah. And they get, like, halfway up, and then Bruno tries it, and he hits it, and it's like, this guy could overpower both of those guys at any time.
2: yeah. It's 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 foreshadowing for what's to come, which is one of the most effective sequences in Hitchcock's entire filmography. When he uh when Bruno they uh they go on the tunnel of love, they stop at the island.
1: <laughs> and that scene in between with the shadows is a really nice oh, it's classic. Really. It's really <laughs> so well
2: done. And then Bruno finds her and and strangles her. And there's one of the most amazing shots in again in, in the entire Hitchcock canon where you see the, the murder occurring in the eyes in uh her glass Miriam's glasses have fallen off. Plot point to come.
1: Yeah, glasses serve as a nice uh it's not quite a MacGuffin, but it's, no. it's just like a point of symbolism. It's classically glasses on a character uh represent either two things, and here they represent both. Yeah. Uh, one, a character's really warped, distorted point of view. In this case, her. Like, you can see that her, it's one of those where you look through the front of her glasses, her eyes look really small. Which, of course, is another villain thing. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing, is glasses on a person is really wise, or a unique perspective on the world, which is his soon-to-be sister-in-law. Uh-huh. uh is, um played by uh, an actress who
2: uh, showed up in another Hitchcock movie. Um, she was in Psycho, and is most notably Hitchcock's daughter. That's Hitchcock's daughter? Ah! I did not know that. And she's she's really funny in this. Uh, she She's actually really amusing. She's, she's at once the comic relief, and as you pointed out, the one who sees the truth of what's going on. Yeah, she figures it out. <laughs> so what happens is, pretty good and simple bruno's committed the murder and then he goes to brag about it and it's like okay it's time you got to pay up and of course guy has no intention of doing so he has no desire to do so he's outraged at the idea and that's just when things start to spiral into badness yeah and he
1: yeah bruno keeps stalking him he keeps on him and then he just straight up invades his personal life. Yeah. Which is a horrifying threat. <laughs> and more than just threatening. You're just kind
2: of waiting for somebody else to wind up paying for this. Y- you you expect more death than actually comes. At the same time, uh, the police think Guy did it. And uh, Bruno has every plan of uh, going on ahead and making it look like he did. He's got an entire cover story planned. You know, he's going to claim that, look, he was in on it, but that, you know, so on and so forth, if the murder isn't committed. At one point, Guy even tries to go to uh, Bruno's father uh, to warn him, and that's just, that's such a great shot in the film. Because he goes into the bedroom, it's black, and you think, oh, okay, you know, he's going to find him. Nope, it's it's Bruno just waiting there, lying in wait. Oh, it's creepy.
1: Yeah, and he tells him that it's, you know, it's like, oh, my father is out today, but I was about to tell you that over the phone, but you're so insistent. It's like, was he? Was he really? No. Were you really going to tell him, or was this all a setup? <laughs> it was all a setup. I mean, he's just this terrible,
2: terrible person. He has no hesitation about harming others, and he makes it very clear that he's going to ruin his life. One of the interesting things they changed from the book is that in the book, the character is apparently much more of a brash alcoholic who's angry, who's violent, who's very destructive. And in this, he's more of a fop. He's more of a dandy. Yeah, which, I don't know, to me is a little more threatening. It's a little more threatening because you you can't ever be comfortable with the guy. No, and you you just
1: never know what he's going to do next.
2: And indeed he really doesn't ever make it clear What he's going to do next It's it's a very unsettling turn Walker's phenomenal in this movie He really is uh, I, I I really have nothing but the best to say About his performance here He was not, you could tell by the way By looking at this movie That he was not in good shape How old would you have guessed he was Based on uh, this movie mm, I would guess he's somewhere close to 40 He was 32 38. Oh Jeez, yeah, that is a rough Because thir- I'm thirty two, that is a rough thirty two. That is God, yeah. But but he he does have that very flighty, effete thing going for him, and it it's interesting because that only makes Farley Granger's performance look that much stronger, that much more masculine in comparison. Which is interesting because in uh, Rope he was of course the more effeminate of the two,
1: right, and, and the.
2: And there's an interesting parallel, too, in that uh, Rope was another movie where he finds himself dealing with a stronger-willed individual, but in this movie, he seems much more able to take care of himself. It's interesting. Um, So the plot just keeps turning and turning with threats and threats. Um, Eventually, the sister-in-law does figure it out. That's one of the things I did like, is that nobody in this movie acts foolish, like uh, even like the uh, cop that's assigned to trail uh guy, he's out in the open. He's public. Everybody knows him. Everybody likes him. I liked that touch. That was at one point. Guy tries to go and get an alibi for the night of the murder, and the guy was drunk. Yeah, and, and he's like, but doesn't this prove anything? It's like, well, look, there's a there's an explanation that could have worked, because they know how murderers work, and murderers in real life do pull stuff like that. They they do. Alibis are unusually not airtight Even if you're innocent Yeah I think anybody who's a a true crime aficionado Knows that Um, So it's interesting to me uh, That you you have all this going on And finally of course It's it's building and building to a showdown Uh, We never do get any real satisfactory resolution With the plot of uh, uh, Bruno's father
1: No we really don't
2: we just assumed that the uh guy's gonna live and really after we've seen his son long enough,
1: do we really blame him? I didn't blame him a bit, a bit. I was like, yeah, your your son's an asshole. Yeah. It's like you're you're right, guy. This is this is a horrible human being who really should be uh seeking help. Yeah.
2: It's like yeah, I I, I get this. Um all this is going on, it all leads up to the inevitable uh climax. Bruno is planning on dropping the, uh, lighter Which is the film's MacGuffin Uh, which is, a uh, Guy has a lighter that will clearly implicate him at the scene And Bruno plans on going to plant it to, uh That
1: is the MacGuffin, isn't it?
2: <laughs> but of course, that doesn't happen uh, because it leads then to A shootout on a carousel <laughs> Wow, that's a surreal sequence
1: It is one of the best scenes
2: This was actually added in from another book Bizarrely Yeah That ending was Because the carnival itself didn't even happen in the original book Or like it was a much more minor setting I think
1: Yeah Yeah you mentioned that that was kind of a change
2: Yeah So uh, So the ending was basically something that Hitchcock saw in another book And liked it And lifted it for this so uh, there winds up being a terrible accident when the carousel operator gets shot. The carousel keeps going faster and faster. And finally it collapses into a uh, just an absolute calamity. And uh, th- that's what happens is uh, Bruno winds up dying in it. And uh, at the end he refuses to confess, but oh, he was holding the lighter.
1: <laughs> even Even though he knows that uh once once he dies and it's all over, they're going to discover in his hands he's just uh, that friggin' slick and stubborn. He's just that much of an asshole,
2: <laughs> pretty much, and the way that he's talking is he's like he's just performing to the end they They got you at last
0: time guy, Bruno. Can you talk a little? Can you tell the chief? You have my lighter. I haven't got it. It's on the island where you left it. Bruno, don't keep it up. Not at a time like
2: this. You know that... I, I'm sorry, guy. I I, I want to help you, but I, I don't know what I can do. And then at the end, we get confirmation that, okay, everything's going to be okay. The police will clear him. Super happy ending. Yeah, I I kind of prefer the um I prefer the slightly grayer endings that you get of the later uh, Hitchcock movies. Yeah, the ending of this is the one thing that uh, aside from Bruto's wonderfully oily performance, it works. Also, it's it's kind of a weird ending because it's kind of a special effects ending uh to what's been a character study up until that point, and yeah. it ends with a big disaster.
1: Yeah 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 with the uh um you're talking about the carousel craft. Yeah. Yeah, that is kind of an amazing effect.
2: Yeah, it, it it looks really good. It's really well done. Um uh the guy at the end that's crawling under it uh was an actual carousel operator.
1: Really? Yeah.
2: And it was actually a very dangerous uh, set, so
1: Yeah, I bet. Like I uh I don't know how much of that is Him actually, yeah, actually, it looks like he's crawling under a carousel. (laughs) I think that was actually what happened. Yeah, it's... That gives it some authenticity, just the fact that he's a real carousel operator. But it is
2: kind of a strange ending to watch just because it is so out of left field and tonally different. But it does work, and it works because Hitchcock knew what he was doing on this thing. And that's just all there is to it, plain and simple. Hitchcock knew what he was doing So, I don't know, it's 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 eerily Effective is what it is It's it's very eerily effective Then there's that great little joke at the end When someone else When someone starts trying to talk to Guy And uh, his uh, Presumably fiancé uh, On a train at the end
1: And they just get up and they're <laughs> like, we're going to another car Yeah, excuse me, are you Guy Haynes? No, no, I am not, sir, bye yeah
2: <laughs>
1: Effective ending
2: It's an effective ending Hitchcock hated it And it's actually cut For the uh, British release Oh really? Um, I don't know It works fine It's 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 a cute little It's a cute little button On the film uh, This is really a very simple Film to talk about uh, Honestly Yeah Yeah it's very straightforward It is and I, And I think It's interesting to me Because it's a good example Of what Hitchcock really loved Which is the innocent man Accused Or the innocent man in over his head. How many times did Hitchcock go to that plot in his movies?
1: Yeah, one thing, uh, one movie that we'll probably have to get to that I've never seen but I'm very intrigued by is the movie I Confess. Yes. Have you heard of that one? I've heard of it. Yeah, where a guy uh, basically goes to a priest and confesses his murder, but, you know, since uh, a priest cannot break... The Sacred Bronze of Confession, what does he do?
2: Yeah. Uh, and, and that's that's one of the things that you would see there, yeah. Um. Hitchcock loved those ordinary people in plots that just overwhelmed them. Which is kind of funny, because if you stop and think about it, Guy isn't the most ordinary of Hitchcock's heroes.
1: He's very much a place of privilege, for one. He's a superstar
2: athlete. He's shown to be a, a very skilled tennis player. At the end of the movie... He uh, tries to, uh, like, as part of his plot, which that gets really convoluted, he drags out his uh, tennis match only to go on ahead and win it. Yeah. Which is just <laughs> strange. I'm just going to say it's a strange thing.
1: I would say, you know, it's... What a, what a cocky thing, though, to say, oh, I'm going to win my match in three sets. That's how I'm going to get out of here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Before, because, you know, I think... The sensible thing to do there would be to throw the match. Yeah,
2: but he's but he's like, no, I can't you know? do that. I I gotta win. <laughs> it's my reputation. It's,
1: yeah, I mean, I, that's the only thing I could think of. Well, you know, in fact, that's... Before I watched it again, that's what I thought happened. It's like he tries to throw the match. It's like, no, he tries to win it in three sets. Yeah, he tries to drag out the win,
2: but he wins. During that sequence, there's one of the most obvious... Deus ex machina Which is that um, Bruno loses the uh, cigarette lighter And then he has to try and get it out Which he does finally do But that's just basically The screenwriter screaming out We have to stretch this out somehow
1: Yeah that was But I think that the uh, uh, You know Hitchcock Is always looking for Or was always looking for ways to Interesting ways to Uh uh ratchet up the tension. Yeah. And, you know, in, in Notorious, it's wine bottles. In this, it's a tennis match. It's like, (laughs) it's pretty good. One of my favorite shots in this is, uh, actually, the tennis scene before that where you see all the spectators watching the game and their heads are going back and forth and back and forth. All except for one. (laughs) It's, Except for Bruno, who was in the stand staring straight at guy
2: it's a it's a really great shot and it's it's a really effective scene um it's obvious that Hitchcock was having a lot of fun on this. this was one of his more successful films um it grossed about seven times its budget nice so it it did well it was it, it did well um it was certainly not a flop for him uh but yeah it was it was just an interesting little film i mean I, it is funny to me that he does get away with just such so many deviations from a norm of reality at the end of the movie after having played it so serious and so straight-faced. And if this had all been in color, I really think it would have lost something. But as it is, it's really effective. Uh, it, it's solidly done. As I said, the acting is really strong. Um... Uh, Walker is so great. Uh, Granger is really good. I, I really think that this is some strong work from him. Uh, he had a good, successful career, and this is this is one of his better works. Uh, you believe that guy is just like, what the hell is going on? You just completely buy that he's like, okay, wait, what? I mean, his his, and it helps that his life is established as being somewhat absurd and somewhat bizarre. Before everything happens, it's just I don't know. Uh one thing that we do have to point out is the use of doubling in the movie. Yeah, so many usage so many usage of uh so much usage of uh doubles. Twos show up in the movie a lot. Glasses kind of help that uh, image a lot actually. Uh but you've got um Hitchcock's cameo is him carrying a double base. Bruno orders uh, a double scotch. Yeah, uh there's there's lots of twos in it. Lots of two shots. I didn't even notice that. That's interesting uh the opening sequence is very much um, a mirror image of the two men as you see them getting on the train so it just intercuts and it's back and forth um tennis itself kind of allows for a little bit of that too it's you know one side other side one side other you know so I don't know it's there is my point there there it, it's definitely there so i, I I'm in I I enjoyed that. I, I thought that was really effective. Uh, I do wonder what this movie would have been like if they'd been allowed to go on ahead and actually do the plot of the book. I, I do wonder about that. Um, I, It would have been different is what it comes down to. I don't know that it would have been way worse or way better. It would have just been a very different film. I, I really do think it benefits from just how well made it, it is. But I, I think that in 1951, it would have been a little hard to pull that off without both characters really suffering i mean because it wasn't that you didn't have movies that focused on
1: murderers yeah one one of the things about you know our protagonist is that he if you really really look at him he is not very likable no he's really not he's very arrogant and for another you know, it's like you know his wife dies and it's like after he's been cleared of the murder well He's free, you know, who gives a shit about her? Yeah. Like, she is never mentioned again.
2: Yeah, well, she's only talked about as the victim, the crime, how it inconveniences him. And yes, we saw that they didn't have a good relationship, but we're led to kind of think it
1: went both ways there. Right. (laughs) Like, he he must have done his share of fucking over, especially since, well, he's cheating on her.
2: Yeah, that's the thing.
1: We're not told... We don't know if that happened before or after she started fooling around about him, but really does it matter? It's... there's some wrong here. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of wrong here. And also, he's publicly cavorting with his, uh... Oh,
2: fairy To the point where it's in the newspapers.
1: Yeah, Bruno knows all about it, like, before he even meets him. Which makes you wonder, how much did he plan this? That's true i did not think of that
2: because it's pretty clear that he's been planning this that he's been thinking this through um and seriously he's so oily and just oh there's just so much wrongness here but i don't know i mean it's (sighs) i don't know to some degree some of the some of the plot questions i think emerge from the fact that it was written the way that it was it was a rushed job um by oh, I should point out one of the interesting trivia pieces of trivia about this, um, which is that when Hitchcock was trying to get the uh rights to the book, he lied. He concealed his identity as the bidder to try and get a low price on the book's rights. Uh Highsmith later came out and said, uh, yeah, if I'd known who it was, I would not have sold it for that little.
1: Uh, that's kind of a douche move. Yeah.
2: Uh, Hollywood would later um, handle Highsmith multiple times. Um, she is the creator of uh, the uh, Tom Ripley novels, after all. And
1: Is she really?
2: Yes. Yes. Those got to be adapted well. Um, uh, she uh, also wrote the book that uh, the recent uh, Carol was based on.
1: As is any, is anybody who's read The Disaster Artist knows, uh, uh, the uh, talented Mr. Ripley would go on to inspire the room. Yeah, which is really weird.
2: <laughs> did it inspire the room or did it inspire the relationship that led to the making of the room? That's my question.
1: That's true.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I but um it's this is I don't know, this is it's a movie that I find myself not having that much to say about beyond well, it's 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 great. It it really is one of Hitchcock's best films. It it's <sighs> It really is so much about the small interaction scenes I think the best scenes are the interaction scenes The way that everybody tries to get one over on uh, Bruno And the way that he keeps playing uh, the puppet master role so well Especially once he integrates himself into uh, Guy's uh, life And, you know, it's just so... he's Everybody falls for him initially They're all so charmed by him He weasels his way into that party until he then has a moment of uh, lunacy and tries to strangle a woman Because he has flashbacks of the murder That is such an eerie, uncomfortable scene I don't know, I just this is just a good movie I mean, I, I would love to have any more depth on it But I don't really have that much more
1: This is a really good movie Yeah, it's good, it's straightforward It's, uh, it's classic Hitchcock
2: yeah, it doesn't make a lot of mistakes. Is the thing, like I can have, I could go for so long on the killing joke, uh, which is a future cast that you all will get to hear because this one's gonna come out before that. Yeah,
1: and that oh, was yes indeed,
2: and that was only seventy, and that was only, and that was a half hour shorter, but that was because that one made so many mistakes. This one really doesn't. It's well shot. It's it's frequently quite funny in places, just to add to the tension. There's that great scene with the kid that walks up to uh Bruno and, you know, Mock <laughs> shoots him. And then Bruno pops the balloon and goes on. Easy with an asshole.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's great.
2: Yeah, there's there's
1: uh one scene which I, I saw M. Night Shyamalan talking about this movie, and uh, one of the scenes that he points out uh is the scene on the carousel where they're fighting and it's already, you know, it's it's going really really fast and there's a it cuts to a lady that says my baby he's on there and, and it cuts straight to the kid who's on the horse having just the time of his life. Yeah. <laughs> Gallows humor runs through
2: this movie a lot. But it's really entertaining and it's really effective. So this is this is one that I really enjoyed. Uh, I do think it's one that would be interesting to see remade in the modern day. Um, yeah, would I, I, I would not be opposed to that. Um, some of Hitchcock's movies should never be remade. I'm not sure how you could do North by Northwest in the modern day. Uh, I'm you couldn't do Vertigo. Uh, no. No, no, Vertigo is way too effective in its that in its form of that age. Well, we already know if you should do psycho, we've already seen that, uh but it was at least an interesting experiment.
1: That uh one thing that I learned recently about uh, the opening titles to the nineteen ninety eight Psycho is uh you know how it mimics the uh the opening of the nineteen sixty Psycho but like all the lines are in green? Yeah. That's brilliant, because, apparent, because if you blink, it leaves a, a blood-red afterimage. Oh, that's actually great. Yeah, that's, that's pretty brilliant.
2: That's, that's, that's actually smart. That's, that's actually smart. Um, not everything about that movie is a complete debacle. I mean, some of it's actually pretty good.
1: Yeah, the, some of the small, subtle
2: touches are nice. Small, subtle touches are nice. It's just an oddly unnecessary film. Yeah, I don't know, but that—that's my thoughts. Uh, if indeed it does get off the ground with uh, Fincher and uh, Flynn doing it, I'd love to see what they could do. I, I would love to see what they could do. Yeah, um, it'll be interesting to see. But for now, uh, this is this is good, this is solid stuff. So that's my
1: take on it. Yeah, I don't have much more to say about this movie either, other than yeah, see it. It's great. Um, yeah, it's one that I think. Uh, we talked about doing like two years ago, or we, or we at least said, well, we'd put this movie on the slate at some point,
2: yeah. And and we may make up for the fact that we only did one Hitchcock movie this at this point by doubling back and doing another one at another point next year. I think that's something we should look at doing.
1: But uh, for now, that's my thoughts on this. You can find us on our blog. We are at thefilmroom.podbean.com uh that's the source of the cast you can get us through the podbean app that's even more convenient uh you can find us on itunes that might be even more convenient for some of you you know rate and review us on there greatly appreciated you can find us on our twitters we are at uh film Room cast collectively also it's an untitled user i am at primitive man prd and harold ragsdale is at Cybergun films um, Lola does not have a Twitter as of yet But just give it 12 years You can find us on our side blog Where you can find such articles As comics for rent Among many many others The Film Room Lobby uh, Thefilmroomlobby.wordpress.com You can find us on Facebook Like us on Facebook Add to our almost a thousand likes We are facebook.com slash thefilmroom You can email us We really love emails Filmroompodcast at gmail.com and not, but certainly not least, our patreon we're still almost to thirty. uh, we really would like the website that'd be we awesome, but uh as for now, we deeply appreciate uh our current patrons. We love you guys, and we love that you are always listening, and we love that your uh, support is so constant Um uh, is is a big help. it's much appreciated uh Thank you, Nathan. Thank you, Bridget. Thank you, Sheila. Thank you, Daisy. And thank you, Sean from No Totally. But thank you guys.
2: Yep. (laughs) Thanks, John.
0: To do a murder. How are you going to do it? That's the fascinating part. How are you going to do it? I didn't get your name. Mrs. Cunningham. Mrs. Cunningham, how are you going to do it? Well, uh, I suppose I'll have to get a gun from somewhere. Oh no, Mrs. Cunningham. Bang, bang, bang all over the place. Blood everywhere. How about a little poison? Oh, that's better. That's better, Mrs. uh... Anderson. Oh, that's better, Mrs. Anderson. (laughs) But you see, Mrs. Cunningham's in a dreadful hurry. Poison could take anywhere from 10 to 12 weeks if poor Mr. Cunningham is going to die from natural causes. (laughs) You know, I read of a case once. I think it would be a wonderful idea. I can take him out in the car, and when we get to a very lonely spot, knock him on the head with a hammer, pour gasoline over him and over the car, and set the whole thing ablaze.